Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come to you and we, we come with a, with a common need and that is to hear from your word and to be shaped by you. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by the noise of the weak. Uh, maybe the, the noise of our mourning, even. But that we would come and hear from you. And Lord, we, we join with the psalmist in saying, search me and know me. Try me and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, point out our sin to us. And lead us in your way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Daniel Day-Lewis accepted his Oscar for playing the role of Lincoln, he had kind of a peculiar phrase or two in his acceptance speech. He thanked his wife which was great. And then he said to his wife, I've brought home some strange men over the course of our marriage. And here's what he meant by that. He, uh, every role that he was in, he would so deeply uh, commit to that role that it would impact who he was. And actors use this, this method called it, method acting where they immerse themselves into the role for the duration of the role, for the duration of all the filming or the play, to where they, they try to be, become the person. And so I can imagine Daniel Day-Lewis, at, this is purely hypothetical, at his, his kid's birthday party with a prosthetic beard and a hat, chimney hat, talking like Abraham Lincoln. And I can imagine everyone around him thinking how obnoxious this is. That this grown man is pretending to be Abraham Lincoln and won't, like, he's just so committed to it. Like, like a kid in their imaginary world. And, it, and his wife had to be like, this is our anniversary. And he's like, no, my anniversary, you know, four score and seven years ago, I bent down on one knee, you know, like, just ridiculous. Like, you know you're not this person, right? Because it's important for me to know that you know you're not actually this person. Like, because if you think you are, like, let's, let's find the coat you can't undo yourself and let's take care of this. Um, and I, I hear about people who get so into method acting that they become the person. I just think, no, they don't. Like, that's, this, is, this is ridiculous. That you, you, you're, you trick yourself into thinking you're something you're not. The same can be said of people who think they're fully unified with God and they're just not. And they go around pretending to be incredibly righteous and in the inside they are dead in their sin and they go around they have this this perfect exterior they they walk around they are the picture of wholeness with a completely dead soul inside they're like a, a star instagram account 
They have amazing pictures of amazing food in amazing places. They have, they, they have pictures of highlighted devos next to artisan coffee, put like to a sepia tone, and it's just amazing. You think, oh, I want to be like them. And in the inside, they are completely far from God and separated from God, and they are no closer to a, to a life with God and to to actual biblical righteousness and wholeness and holiness, they are no closer to that than Daniel Day Lewis's to actually being Abraham Lincoln. They are righteously lost. They are completely and in all ways spiritually lost, but they put on a righteous veneer. So this is where Jesus finds himself going to dinner with these people. We're in Luke 11. If you haven't turned there yet, I invite you to open your Bibles and and turn there. Follow along as we're teaching. So Jesus is speaking. While Jesus is speaking, verse 37, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and he went and reclined at the table. Jesus reclined at the table with the Pharisee and his pharisaical friends, the same as he would with the tax collectors and sinners when the Pharisees would would get mad at him for doing that. And I think the the tone and the intent of Jesus' conversation at the table with these Pharisees on this night was the same as the tone and intent as his conversation with Matthew and his friends the night Matthew was called to be a disciple. The words are different. The intent is the same. And the intent is walk with God as your Lord. So they they sit down. They ask Jesus to come. Like, hey, let's let's get Jesus to be one of us. Let's, you know, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. Jesus is causing us problems. Let's get him to be one of us. And the Pharisee... was astonished, verse 38, to see that Jesus did not wash his hands before dinner. (gasps) Jesus is not checking all all the spiritual checklist items that the Pharisees have set up, and it just they, they just lose their mind. Jesus didn't wash his hands. This isn't youth group. Show some hygiene. Come on, man. Um And Jesus says, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Jesus knows how to be like the best guest ever. You fools. Did not he who made the outside of the cup make the inside also? You get, but give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And Jesus Jesus uses the most Basic illustration you can. You clean the outside of the cup, you never clean the inside of the cup. Kids, this is how to get fired from doing the dishes. Only clean the outside. And this is, it sets up a ridiculous picture because of course you would clean the inside of the cup because that's where your water or your tea or your coffee sits. Like you, you clean that part the best because that's what impacts your health. And Jesus says you're only worried about the outside looking nice and the inside is just full of grime. And this is who you are when you're righteously lost. Is the, the outside looks good. It has that great veneer. It has all the Instagram pictures that, that a good Christian should have. But the inside is just greed and wickedness. 
J.C. Ryle says the same God who made our poor dying bodies is the God who gave us a heart and soul. And while we were singing earlier, I was thinking, you know, God didn't die, Jesus didn't die so we could have great complexion on the outside. He died so our, our hearts could be regenerated, so our soul could have life, and life to the fullest, and eternal life with Him. You need to worry a lot more of what's inside the cup than you do what's outside the cup. See, the Pharisees, this Pharisee, before he invited Jesus, he didn't read John 3. That wasn't in his daily bread that day. Because in John 3, it it says that that Jesus is the light of the world, and he comes and he shines light on the darkness, and we don't like that because when when Jesus' light shines, it exposes the darkness in our hearts. And those who are righteous walk in the light. Those who are don't, they try and hide from the light. And the light of Christ on this night at this meal exposed darkness. Especially the darkness that was masked with a counterfeit light. Jesus exposes method acting righteousness. And he compares it to his true, untainted, glorious holiness. And what we see this morning in this passage is that the light of Christ shines through any facade of good works to expose the heart of the righteously lost. Jesus exposes those who are righteously lost. And and here's what he shows about them. He shows that the righteously lost, they neglect justice. So as we continue on in the conversation... Jesus is far from done telling these Pharisees what's wrong with the inside of their cup. And he goes on in this series of woes. He says, woe to you, Pharisees. Imagine, imagine like they didn't get to dessert this night. Um, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every other herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You you tithe your spices. Like these Pharisees are going into their spice cabinet. They're like methodically weighing out a tenth of everything and tithing that. And they are neglecting the things that God holds dear. In Micah, in Micah 6, starting in verse 6, it says, what shall I, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Like how many sacrifices are enough to really please God? Should I go like exorbitant amounts, Warren Buffett like amounts of sacrifices? And then in verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Over and over again through the prophets, the prophets of God, they speak God's word to his people. And they they say, you love sacrifices, you do sacrifices all the time, but God isn't going to accept them. Because you neglect justice, you treat people horribly, you go after other gods for your sustenance. 
Back in Deuteronomy, when Moses said, laid out God's law to people, and he laid out, here's what you need to do for tithing. In Deuteronomy 14, he says, you lay apart this tithe, and, and this tithe goes for the justice. It goes to provide for, for three groups of people, and these three groups are commonly expressed through the Old Testament in God's heart for justice, and it's the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And so as we think of those three categories, the sojourner, this is who is, hey, Israel, take care of the people coming to your country and passing through your country. Take care of those people who aren't at their native home. For the fatherless, you know, you you think of this, especially today, not having a father is a big issue. Fatherlessness and, and, and single, single mother homes where there's not a father present is one of the major issues facing our inner city youth. If you look at the demographics of, of, of single parent homes where a father is not present, it's not a real high percentage among Caucasians, but that percentage jumps up significantly when you look at the Hispanic and African American communities. And in, and in the biblical times, not having a father meant there wasn't that income. There wasn't an inheritance, probably. There wasn't someone to train you to work, to, to get your own income one day. Homelessness was an issue. You might have to sell your family into slavery to have, to have food security. Today, as we look at fatherlessness... We look at the orphans. We look at the foster care system. And are we, are we going to sit here and say, oh, we're tithing. We're, we're checking off our boxes of righteousness and neglect the sojourner, those who are coming to and through our country. Are we going to neglect those who are vulnerable because they don't have that, that father figure, whether it's because they're in a single parent home and they don't have someone to show them what it is to provide? What, how it is to work, someone to help them get through school. Or there's a shortage of, of safe homes within our foster care system. And we're sitting on empty beds in our homes. And then there's the widow. It's a lot of times synonymous with the poor. No way of providing. There were systematic things that made it hard to find not not even success, but just stability and security. It is time for the church to let the word of God determine justice. And it is time for the church to let the word of God determine our reaction to injustice. Instead of Fox News, MSNBC, or anything you read on social media. Our framework as believers needs to be set by Scripture, not by red or blue or whatever cause red or blue favor. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Our citizenship is not in one party of Washington, D.C. It's not in a certain cause. It is in the fact that our souls have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so we care about the things that He cares about. 
I remember the first time I heard someone pray the prayer, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And it's a prayer that we hear thrown out a lot. There's songs about it. And I wonder what would happen if we genuinely prayed that and genuinely made our hearts available to be broken by injustice. To be broken by the vulnerable being mistreated. We as believers need to have a holistic view of sanctity of life. It starts in the womb. It extends to the hood. It goes to the borders. It goes into the foster care system, into the orphanages. It goes to the streets where human trafficking is occurring. Because every person, regardless of race, economic status, neighborhood, or nationality, every person carries the likeness and the image-bearingness of God. And there's a certain amount of dignity that comes with that. When we neglect justice, we inhibit the Great Commission. If our hearts are going to break for the same thing that breaks God's heart. It means we will care for the the vulnerable. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, says this. We instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love your neighbor. He goes on later in that same chapter to say, if a person has grasped, there we go, the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he is grateful for God's grace, but in his heart he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced, and at worst that he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. It's really interesting here that Jesus doesn't just say that you neglect justice. He also says you tithe your mint, your rue, and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Justice, the pursuit of justice is worship. When we pursue justice, we worship God. When we pursue justice, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. A finely tailored forsaking of, the just, of justice is still injustice. No matter how much it's righteously dressed up, it's still injustice. And it does not escape the light of Christ. So the righteously lost, they neglect justice. They also rely on pride. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. The Pharisees, what Jesus is coming at, they were seeking human honor. They wanted a legacy that lasted for their lifetime and their lifetime only. 
They saw people as a fuel for their ego. This flows from a heart that sees people as things to be used and things as something to be loved. I heard someone who was, who was speaking to some students and they're, they're speaking about honoring one another. And they, they came up to this, this guy that thought he was all that and he said, what if I poured bleach on your jeans and, and dipped your iPhone in my glass of, of water? And the guy said, oh, I'd freak out. I'd, I'd completely freak out about that. But how many, how many of that generation would also, or, or of any generation, would go out and seek to use another person for their own pleasure? And we've, we've gotten to a time and we're a part of our culture, and we need to recognize this, loves things and uses people. And we are told to love people and use things. He tells these Pharisees, you are unmarked grave. People will walk over you and not even know it because your legacy was built on being recognized in the marketplace and not on the things of God and his eternal kingdom. The way to have legacy that matters isn't to accrue wealth, isn't to have... A, a, a famous face isn't to have a blue check mark by your, by your Twitter account that isn't to be stingy when it comes to justice. It's to abide in Christ and bear the fruit of disciple making. That's where legacy comes from. That God would be glorified through you. The righteously lost don't view people as image bearers of God who are to be grown in the likeness of their creator, but as Twitter, Twitter followers to boost their ego, to pay them respect. They build themselves up on pride. Look how great I am. Look at my immediate influence. Look how people move so I can have the honorable seat. They aren't concerned with foot washing. They aren't concerned with laying themselves down to serve people or much less to serve God. They want to be glorious and dressed up and worshiped by those who should be worshiping God. Prestigious and dressed up sin is still sin, and it does not escape the light of Christ. Jesus then goes into, he, he, he moves from the Pharisees to the lawyers, specifically the scribes, the keepers of the law. And, and here he points out that the righteously lost, they, they disable discipleship. He says, verse forty. Verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. I imagine Jesus thinking, Oh, you want to be insulted? I'll insult you. Like, here we go, lawyers. And Jesus tees it up. Woe to you, lawyers, also. You're not escaped from this, for you load people with heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You make up all these rules, You, you advertise a gospel plus. To be saved, you need need these 18 ingredients, or in some cases, these 600 ingredients. You need to do all these things perfectly if you're going to do it. And we're going to build fences around rules. There's rules to keeping rules. And if you break those rules, you fall out of favor with God. And these, these lawyers would sit up there and they'd tell everyone this, and then they wouldn't even touch that burden themselves. Maybe I'm above that. I have some sort of biblical, penitentiary, diplomatic immunity. 
and they disable discipleship. They put up stumbling blocks so people can't follow the Lord. And we do this sometimes. We try to add to Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And we're like, that's not enough. They need to have my views on these social issues. They need to listen to the right music. They need to wear the right shoes. Live in the right places. Let's not add to God's word and disable discipleship. Jesus goes on, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets who your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets and from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. The, they disabled discipleship by blocking God's word. They, they, they celebrate, in a sense, the prophets that were killed. Oh, let's build a bigger tomb to remind everyone that we killed Zechariah or one of the other prophets. And while doing so, they don't listen to the words of that prophet, to the words of God. They continue in the generational disobedience of God through their idolatry, through their pride, through their lack of repentance, through their lack of justice. We need to be very careful when we, when we look back over time to learn from history. And when we see a historical act, whether it was good or bad in the eyes of God, to see what was good or bad in the eyes of God and learn from that and be shaped by that. Ezekiel, in chapter 3, he's, God says, man, Ezekiel, if, you, if I tell you that the wicked are going to perish and you don't tell the wicked that they're going to perish then the wicked will perish and you will perish with them. But if you tell them that they're going to perish and they don't perish, then you're, you're innocent of that. And the Pharisees and the lawyers here, they, were, they had two forms of guilt. One, they weren't listening to the prophets. They weren't being obedient to God's word. So they were perishing for that. Second is they had God's word. They knew God's word. These people memorized God's word. Inside and out. And they neglected to share it. They were guilty for their own sin and they were guilty for not warning others. They had a twofold guilt. They had the key of knowledge and they took it away from people. How many times How many times do we How many times do we have the key of knowledge of God 
We have the gospel. We have his word. How many times do we just sit on that? How many times is our approach to the gospel? Let's have that person clean up their life and then, then I'll tell them about Jesus once they clean up their life. Instead of just showing them Jesus and letting Jesus be the one that cleans up their life. How many times do we look at other people and say, oh, they've got it so screwed up, and in our anger, we withhold telling them knowledge instead of letting God work in our hearts and work in their hearts. I was disturbed this week as I was studying this because there's so many times where where I've disabled discipleship by making Christianity something that it's not. Because I've blocked God's word in different ways. And I the only thing I can do, my only hope is God's mercy. Say, God help me. And then I, I want to repent, I want to be forgiven, and I want to learn from it, and I want to grow in my obedience to God. But it's so tempting, and we live in such a polarized culture that whatever your view is on a hot-button issue, it can be very tempting to make that view of biblical importance. And it's not always. Instead of making the cross of biblical importance and making the repentance of sin of biblical importance and realizing God's heart for justice. And so many times, I feel like we get a lot better at making excuses for not participating in pursuing justice than we do in cutting out the things of our life that prohibit us from pursuing justice. And maybe your greed has gotten in the way. Maybe you've developed an apathy that's not from God. Maybe you sit biblically justified, or so you think, and saying, you know what? You reap what you sow. And, and so you get injustice. As you, I don't know what news sources you watch or listen to or don't or for whatever reasons. But as you do, never forget that the people involved, whether they were shot, whether they were abused, whether they were accused of it, never forget a couple things. One, everyone involved bears God's likeness. Never forget that God loves justice and God will get justice one way or the other. He knows more about justice than we ever will. And He has a heart for the vulnerable. And so should we. If if our measure of success contradicts God's heart, If our measure of wholeness contradicts God's heart, the light of Christ will expose that. 
as an eternal failure. The righteously lost, they, they neglect justice, they rely on pride, they disable discipleship, and they need a heart change. See, righteously lost is such a dangerous thing to be. I think it's entirely possible. You get the Piper-approved Bible. You get a you get a couple good bumper stickers, some nice khakis. You listen to the right news. You vote for the right party. You show up with a pleasant face and drink your coffee black, and everyone will think you're fine. Especially the last one. And no one will think, oh man, this person, there's, there's some real gaps here and they need to walk with God and they're not walking with God. Because it is so easy to, to wash the outside of the cup. It is so easy to have a really shiny outside of our cup. I'm sitting ABF, Any prayer requests? No, we're great. Is God's word saying anything to you? Maybe. I'm not going to talk about it. I'll just take my communion. No one will know the lack of repentance in my heart. No one will know the greed that I'm hiding. No one will know the apathy that I treat other people with. I'll go through every motion and every hoop and everyone will think I'm fine. You know, in 1 Samuel, God rejected Saul, sent Samuel to go find the sons. One of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. Jesse's first son comes in and it's like, well, that guy's going to win the Heisman one day. Surely he's the king. God tells Samuel... Don't look at the outside. Look at the heart. I look at the heart. One of the most tragic and foolish things of all the Bible was when Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves and hid in the bushes to try and hide from God. And the righteously lost hide from the body of Christ. And they try to hide from God. And it won't work to hide. You might be able to fool the church. I don't think it's all that hard sometimes. But you cannot fool God. The righteous, righteously lost, all of us, we need to go back to verse 41. Give alms of those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Deal with the inside of the cup. The trap of, 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 the, of the religiously lost is that they, they try to follow God only with the external and with no heart change. The, the religiously lost try to control what the light of Christ shows. Those who are saved walk with the Lord and are controlled by what the light of Christ has shown. I'll say that again. The religiously lost try to control what the light of Christ can show. 
And those who are saved, who are walking with God, are controlled by what the light of Christ has shown. How do we give alms of the things that are within? You know, David in in Psalm 51 said, you don't, the, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That's the sacrifice of God. I bring my heart and I lay it on the altar. I bring myself, I lay it on the altar. I say, God, this is my offering to you. Do with it what you will. Paul says it in Romans 12. I appeal to you, Romans 12, when I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I look at this and I... Presenting my body as a spiritual sacrifice of God. And God uses His sacrifices for His glory. He uses His sacrifices to bring about justice. We need a heart change. You can't fake salvation and sanctification forever. You might know some great key words that help you fake it. You can't fake it forever. We can't fake experiencing God's love. It will result in a counterfeit extending of God's love. We need to offer our hearts. Be crucified with Christ so it's no longer us who live, but Him, Jesus, the Son of God, who lives in us. We need to repent, be forgiven, and follow in faith and loving obedience. We need a heart change. And the good news is, God is in the business of changing hearts. It's what He does. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for Your help. God, that You would forgive us of the injustice that, that we've participated in either actively or through apathy. That we would care most about Your name, about Your holiness, about Your righteousness, and the people that You have made in Your likeness who need to know You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.